Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Well, let's take our Bibles in hand and turn to the New Testament book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 is our text this morning. Good morning. Happy New Year to all of you. The calendar turned over again since we last were together. We ended 2019 in this room by taking the Lord's Supper together and reminding one another about his promise to come again. And we wondered aloud if perhaps the year 2020 might be the year. We spoke of being ready for that event because when Jesus comes again, it will be very, very different than the first time when he came as a helpless baby. We said when he comes again, it's going to be public and obvious. Luke said like lightning flashing across the sky, no one could miss it. And it would be preceded by rejection and suffering by the lost world. In fact, Jesus said, the son of man must suffer many things before that day. Of course, he did suffer many things. And we'll talk more about that later on in the spring as we move towards Easter. When we always speak of the passion, the suffering of of Christ and his suffering on the cross. But uh, his suffering is now over, isn't it? He said from the cross, it, it is finished. And he is today seated at the right hand of the Father, waiting the time when he comes again for the church. But all of this suffering was part of God's eternal redemptive plan. It's all working out exactly the way that he said it would. And he said what would happen when he comes again is there will be a time of separation and judgment. He said two are going to be in the bed sleeping. One's going to be taken. One's going to be left. Two will be at the mill grinding. One will be taken. One will be left. But but in summary, what Luke recording the words of Jesus said what would be most characteristic of the day in which Jesus came is that people wouldn't be ready for it. And Jesus says that would be the case. He says it will come at a time when you don't expect it. People will be going on with life just as they were before, planning their future, getting engaged, getting married, giving away their children to marriage. Matthew says they're going to be planning building projects They're just going to be ignoring all the warnings and signs all around them that that time is short. Just like it was in Noah's day when he was building the ark and no one believed it was ever going to rain. And Just like Sodom and Gomorrah when they were pursuing sin to the nth degree right up until the time the fire and brimstone began to fall. And we finished last Sunday together and finished the year and finished the decade together asking the question, how can a person know if they're ready for the second coming? And a pretty good litmus test, we says, was given by the Apostle Paul as he came to the end of his life when he says, I'm ready to be poured out. He says, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my race. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, but not for me only, but for all who love his appearing. That is, all who look forward with great anticipation and joy to the Lord's second coming. And so the simple question is, do you love his appearing? When we talk about Jesus might come in the year 2020, does that excite you or cause fear in your heart? So if you love the prospect of Jesus coming, 
you're longing for it. You're saying with the saints of old, Lord Jesus, come. Maybe even before we see the year 2021. But that truth that we are praying for Jesus coming, and on the other hand, he has given us a task to complete, the Great Commission, puts Christians individually and churches collectively in an interesting position, doesn't it? Should we make plans? Should we strategize or should we just sit on our hands and, and wait for the eastern sky to open up? So I, I've listed here for our consideration three options as it is related to that position. Number one, we Christians could just do what the lost and dying world is doing. We could go on with life, business as usual, and never give one thought to the possibility that Jesus could come this year. A second option is that we could just quit everything else and quit our jobs, sell our homes, our families, and, and go sit on a hill, cross-legged, and wait on his coming. Some have done that. We laugh, and it, it's humorous, but go back and read your history books. There have been numerous groups over the years who've done that very thing when they've tried to predict the exact moment of Christ's return, even though we're forbidden from doing that in the Scripture. We're forbidden from doing a lot of things in the Scripture people do, by the way. I offer today a third and I think a better approach. From 1865 to 1891, uh, the British pastor Charles Spurgeon, who you've all heard of, in addition to being a, a busy pastor, edited a Christian magazine which he called The Sword and the Trowel. The sword is an instrument of war, of course. The trowel was an instrument that masons used to put mortar between bricks. The subtitle of that magazine really tells you what it's all about. He says, it's combat with sin and labor for the Lord. The sword is, is the word of God. It's the only offensive weapon the Lord has given us in the whole armor. With it, we are to put to death sin. And we're to labor for the Lord with the trowel. That is, I, I take it, to do those things we're gifted and called to do individually and, and as a church family. So we believers who make up the churches live between two worlds, as John Stott wrote, the spiritual and the physical. No, we're not to live like the world and just ignore the signs of his second coming, ignore his clear promises of scripture. We're to read about them and relish them and rejoice in them and order our lives accordingly. But on the other hand, we're also to work as long as it's called today. We're to do the work of, of the one who has put his spirit within us to accomplish those tasks. The New Testament in several places describes this tension of the Christian life in, in terms of a race, athletics. And one of those places is our text this morning, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Let, let's read that text. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The title of the message today is, is Keep on Running. 
Now, today is family business. If you're visiting here today, you're welcome to stay. But I'm going to talk directly to the First Baptist Church of Keller this morning. This year, First Baptist Church of Keller turns 138 years old. We don't look a day over 90. <laughs> As I thought about that truth, I, uh, raise your hand if you were here 138 years ago. <laughs> I don't think any of us were. There is a gentleman in our church who next month turns 102, but he wasn't here then. I, I was thought this week how, how this church being a family has people at all ages. And so Mr. John Hunt's 102 and little, little Mallory Brooks was born a couple of weeks ago. And most of us are somewhere in between. But the tendency of churches is the same tendency of individual believers that comprise her. And that is when we reach a certain age, a certain threshold chronologically, our tendency is to see the finish line in the distance and try to coast their own momentum from the past. And unabashedly, my purpose this morning is to encourage us, to warn us, to keep on running until the race is finished. And that's exactly what the author of Hebrews is telling us. This entire book, which we've studied over the last year in our Wednesday night meetings here, been such a blessing to all of us that have been here. The theme of it is Jesus is better. The writer of Hebrews holds up all the things that Jesus is better than. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. The new covenant is superior to the old covenant. He's writing most likely to Jewish people who have been converted. They have professed faith in Christ, but they are being influenced to go back to the old ways. And he's telling them to persevere until the end. Don't stop halfway. And that's exactly what I'm encouraging all of us to do today. Let, let us persevere until the end. When we talk about the Christian life here, we, we talk about justification, don't we? We talk about how at a moment in time when the Holy Spirit opens our blind eyes and shows us our sinfulness and our desperation and our need of a Savior, and we call out to Him in that instant, He forgives us, doesn't He? And he declares us forever and ever his child and, and, and forgiven. Our sins were placed upon Jesus at the cross. In Romans 8, 1, there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But for the rest of our lives, we're in that process of sanctification. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about persevering. We're talking about persevering in sanctification until we, we, we reach the, the climax, as it were, of the Christian existence, which is glorification. There is a heaven, isn't there? This isn't it. Until then, we must persevere. That's that's word which means great exertion, great stress. And that's exactly what the Christian life is like. And the writer of Hebrews understands that. And so in chapter 11, he holds up some great men and women of the Old Testament as examples to us. People like Abel and Enoch and Noah, and Abraham, and Sarah, and on and on the list goes. But he's not holding them up as unreachable super saints. He's saying these people are like us in the sense they were sinners. And if you go back and read the biographies of all these people, they were great sinners, many of them. And yet they persevered into the end. And so in verse 1 of chapter 12, he says, Therefore... As a result that Christ is better and he's worth the perseverance, 
since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us, those living now, lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The point is, those people that I just mentioned, and not just the people of chapter 11, I think he's including every true saint of God who has finished their race. All of them who persevered into the end are, are standing around the finish line cheering us on. That's the picture here. It's of a stadium filled with people, but the people are those that have already run the race. And now our task is to keep running and to finish our race. And so let's talk this morning about keeping on running. Several things I want to note about perseverance. The first thing he calls us to is perseverance and holiness. He says, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Now, theologians differ whether or not these are two different things. I tend to think they are. Now, the, the, the second one is very simple. We all know we should lay aside sins. That's what sanctification is in part is the separation of sin from one of God's called out ones over a lifetime. And so maybe there's habitual sins in your life that you have given to the Lord that this year that you're with his help going to overcome. May the Lord bless you in that. We should always be identifying, confessing, repenting of, and, and working on those sins. But on the other hand, there's another category he seems to talk about here, which he calls encumbrances. Now, again, the picture is of a racetrack and the runners. And if you've ever watched the Olympic Games or any track and field event, you know those that run on the racetrack don't dress in winter garb. They strip down almost embarrassingly sometimes to a bare minimum so that they could run without encumbrance. They don't want any hint of clothing that would prevent them from having their full range of motion. That's what he's talking about here from a spiritual side. Remember Stott said we live between two worlds. We live in the physical, but our eyes on heaven. And so think in spiritual terms of a race. What is it in your life? Maybe it's not inherently sinful. Maybe it's morally neutral. Maybe it's even morally good, but it's not helping you make progress in sanctification. It's not best. And so maybe the Lord is calling on us this year to, to lay aside some things that are not fruitful, that are not helpful in sanctification. But he says we can do this because others have. They've shown the way. But there's one who is the perfect example. He's in verse 2. He says, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Jesus began our our. Christian faith. He is the initiator of it. It's all about him, but he's also the perfecter of it. Jesus has finished all righteousness. You remember when he went out from John the Baptist there to be baptized, John says, I have need to be baptized of you. And Jesus says, permit it to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus didn't leave anything undone. And so we look to him as that perfect example who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He showed us the right way to live this life, which sometimes, and it often does, and it did in Jesus' life, means the way of suffering. 
Please disabuse yourself of any notion that 2020 is going to be pain-free. It will not be. Perhaps it will be the most painful year yet, and yet we can endure because Jesus endured the cross. And it was not until he had fulfilled all righteousness that he sat down. I fear that some of us are looking to sit down before the finish line. Lord, help us not to. Help no church this year to quit before they run through the tape. We can persevere because others have and because Jesus will help us. He helps us with his example, but he helps us through one another, the church. The church is not to just be a category or a cell or a component of your life. The Bible says, Christ, who is our life. This is our life. The, the church, not the building, but the relationships that you have here with one another must be the center of your life. Not, not just an add-on or a tack-on. But, but not only does he help us through the church and the relationships we have here, but, but through his word and yes, we're exposed to the word in the church. I understand that through Sunday school class and Bible study groups and, and on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings and Wednesday nights, but through the word all the time. Brother, Brother Jack Gatewood has done a remarkable job of giving us a, a buffet of options to read through the Bible this year. Please pick one of those up. Last year, over 900 of you at least started that journey. I won't ask how many finished, but start that journey. And encourage one another to stay on that journey. Memorize the word of God this year. This is how he encourages us. And of course, ultimately, he encourages us through his indwelling spirit. He comforts us, yes, but he also leads us to all truth. And so we are to persevere in holiness as a church family this year. And then secondly, we are to persevere in evangelism and missions. After all, that's our great commission, isn't it? That's the work I alluded to earlier when I said we've got a job to do. Go and make disciples of all the nations, Jesus said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Great Commission, like all of Christ's work, is best accomplished through the local church. And so this local church, First Baptist Church of Keller, has a strategy and a, and a plan to reach our community for Christ. It's called Who's Your One? And it's about as simple a plan as you could ever imagine. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It's every member of this church identifying one lost person in your sphere of influence and praying for them this year until Christ saves them. But we need accountability on that. And, and through your Sunday school classes, week by week, we're going to keep a list of those people in your class that you're praying for by name. And then when they're saved, we're going to celebrate it. We're going to celebrate, of course, publicly through their baptism, but we're going to celebrate it also through testimonies, also celebrate it through training events that we're going to host this year as it relates to personal evangelism. But it's not just here at home, but it's, it's as we are going, Matthew tells us in Matthew 28. Church planting and revitalization has become part and parcel of who we are. It's in our DNA, and I pray it always will be. You know that in the past, the Lord has led us to plant churches in Oregon and in Utah. We are presently supporting church plants in Montana and 
Colorado, other places. Um, Lord willing, in 2020, we're going to be the primary sponsor of a church in Portland, Oregon, and a church in Queens, New York. And so the Lord is giving us these incredible and wonderful opportunities as we are, have given these responsibilities, we must remain faithful and remain humble and to seek his will. Many of you know that for the past five years, our church has been in the business of uh, revitalization. Six years ago, a church in this area came to us very near closing their doors and they reached out and said, can you help us? We sent one of our staff members over there to pastor that church for the Casey Lewis. Uh, that church was remodeled and it was reopened under a new name called Foundation Baptist Church that's coming up on five years. And I'm pleased to announce that on July 1st, Foundation Baptist Church will become fully autonomous, which means that the church building is gonna be deeded back to them and they're able to pay all of their own bills, praise the Lord. And many of you were very vital in that work and we believe the Lord wants us to do it again. And so we're even now working with another church that again is very near closing their doors. You be in prayer for wisdom. But there are also other churches that don't necessarily look like most of us or talk like most of us or even speak the same language. You're probably aware that we are now supporting three ethnic churches and next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll add our fourth as a Vietnamese-speaking congregation will be utilizing our facility here on Sundays. And we thank the Lord for this great opportunity. In addition to these church plants, there's our continued overseas missions efforts led by uh, Brother Lawrence Duhon. And you understand that uh, we send out just about every month teams overseas Please pray for those that are going and consider going yourself. Brother Lawrence told us in our staff meeting last Monday morning that at least 20%, maybe is up to half of the people that have signed up for mission trips this year. It's their first ever mission trip. Here's the thing about people that take their first mission trip. It's almost never their last because it's life changing. If you've never done something like that, consider doing that in the year ahead. Now, the third thing that we must persevere in is service. Service, of course, begins in the local church. In fact, some of you that joined the church in the past year went through our orientation class and you were told that we believe in this church because the Bible teaches it, that every member has spiritual gifts. And those gifts are to be brought to bear in the life of the local church by serving one another. And really what our orientation class is, is really two hours of an overview of the different ministries of our church to give you many options of how you can serve in this local church. And I'm gonna focus on three this morning, three areas of service to one another. One is our widow's ministry. I've said for many years, I think it's one of the most biblically pure ministries in the church because it's based on one verse of the Bible, James 1:27, that pure and undefiled religion for God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows and to keep oneself unstained by the world. It's not just our deacons, but others in the church reach out to the over 130 women, widow women in our church. And we had the privilege of having lunch with them over Christmas and it was a wonderful time. And 
Don't forget about the widows and the orphans as you serve here. The other is hospital visitation. I am going to ask you to raise your hand now. How many of you spent at least a day in the hospital last year? Many, many of you. Now, none of us know who will raise our hand this time next year. We're here. But this is a vital ministry of our church. Visit the sick, minister to them. And, and then third, we, we minister to one another in the Sunday school. And many of you that grew up in other church traditions, when you think of Sunday school, you think of children, something that kids do. And it is something that kids do here. And we always need more workers, especially among our, our smallest children. But Sunday school is for all of us. Our church really, it's DNA and its backbone is the Sunday school model. And if you're not in a Sunday school class, you need to get in one in the year ahead. And we need some more teachers, quite frankly, and we need another director or two. And, and so if you're interested in that, please see Jack Gatewood the next week. But we not only serve one another, we're to persevere in service to this community. This community is known for its affluence and its erudition, but the truth is this community, like every community, has financial needs. There are people in this community who are below the poverty line, and, and we have the privilege of serving them uh, through our grocery ministry and through our various benevolence funds, and I encourage you to contribute to those as the Lord gives you the opportunity. We also reach this community through our schools. A number of our people host Backyard Bible clubs in the public schools and serve there. We have schools in our church. We have a, a school for children through pre-kindergarten that has over 200 students on average. Most of them come from families that are unchurched. And also in the afternoons, we host a um, fine arts academy, again, with about 200 students. And these are ways that we seek to serve our community. Beyond that, we have classes for those who are trying to learn English, who are first-generation migrants here. We have a mom-to-mom -mom ministry for young mothers, mentoring program for young mothers. We host Bible study fellowship for several hundred men and their children on Monday evenings here. These are ways we serve the community. And one way that I'm particularly burdened that we need to serve our community is in the nursing homes and residential care centers. You might have noticed they are sprouting up everywhere because our population is an aging one. The baby boomers are getting old. And this is a need that we'll have for many years to come. We have at present 12 nursing home services in our community. We probably could do twice as many if we had the manpower to do it. And so if you're interested in serving in, in that capacity, please call Brother Ted Eaton this week. And so we're not saying all this to pat ourselves on the back and say, look what we've done. It is appropriate, as we saw a few weeks ago in Luke, that when the Lord does something for you and through you to return to him and say thanks. That's what we're doing today. We're looking back over the past year of what has been accomplished in and through the Lord's church. And we're saying, Lord, thank you for the privilege of being a small part of fulfilling your great commission. But if we're going to do the same in the year ahead, we're also going to have to persevere fourthly in generosity. All of these things that we've talked about here that the Lord's put on our heart to do require financing. And so uh, let, let's look back on how the Lord provided so generously for us last year. Rob, would you put on the screen 
our uh, financial report for the past year. And so in the last 12 months, through your generous giving, we have received over $5.1 million through our general budget receipts. In addition to that, you gave $278,000 to the Vision Fund and $222,000 to the Great Commission offering for a total of $5.6 million. And may the Lord be glorified through that. He's the one that, that gives us the means to do His will. And so the general offering covers everything from keeping the lights on here to paying the staff salaries. It also includes uh, money that goes to the cooperative program. And we once again were able to give about a quarter of a million dollars through our state convention to the cooperative program, which funds our six Baptist seminaries coast to coast. It funds our international missionaries through the INB and funds church planners through the North American Mission Board. And so we plan on increasing that in the year ahead. And so the global impact offering, as you know, is above and beyond our general offerings, which is overseen and administered by our missions committee. And so all the money that goes to that is distributed according to a formula from national, international, regional, all the way down to the local level. And we have been able to help many, many sister organizations and churches through this ministry over the years. And then thirdly, there we're looking at the Vision Fund. But before we get to the Vision Fund, I want to just give a little attention to some giving that sometimes goes unnoticed. One is the shoe boxes uh, that were collected here through the Billy Graham organization. Uh, did you know that in the month of December, First Baptist Church of Keller gave 870 of these shoe boxes? which were distributed all over the world, all with the gospel message inside of them. But not only that, our church served as a regional hub and acceptance center. And through our church, 10,372 of these boxes were sent out. And we praise the Lord for that. But, but the one I think that brings the most joy to me is, is the fact that our little boys and girls, our RAs and our GAs, swept streets and raked leaves and sold cookies and raised over $2,400 to give to the International Mission Board in the month of December. And so generosity is something that is caught more than taught, and they are catching that, that understanding that everything belongs to the Lord at, at a very early age. Now, to the Vision Fund report, I, I said that you gave uh, to the Vision Fund but the Lord has blessed us in other ways to the Vision Fund. Um, we sold a piece of property that's been on the market over eight years this year. And uh, that allowed us to put an additional million dollars into the Vision Fund. So what's the Vision Fund all about? Well, you remember that 10% of every dollar that goes into the Vision Fund, this is something we voted on two years ago when we adopted the Vision Statement, goes to church planting. That is, 10 cents of every dollar goes outside the four walls of these church. And so um, we were doing that. We're distributing that fund all over the country to church plants. But also look around you. New pews, new lighting. We uh, renovated the worship center last year. All of that was paid through the Vision Fund. All of you that have new Sunday school furniture came out of the Vision Fund. The youth area was uh, completely remodeled. And uh, we have plans for some more in, in the future. You might remember in that original proposal, there was a drop-off point on the south end of the building, and 
that has been delayed, but we have a plan now. The Monday after Bible school is over in June that we're going to start that project with their, they're guaranteed that within a month. So by August 1st, 2021, Lord willing, everything that we said we were going to do in the phase one of the vision plan will have been accomplished. Now that's good enough news, but here, here's even better. It's already been paid for. And we have incurred and, and plan to incur no more debt. So we, we praise the Lord again for his provision. So in summary, you all voted a budget of $1.89 million for all of phase one. So far we've spent $1.1 million. We have nearly $800,000 of, uh, $800, of work left to do. And Lord willing, by August 1st of this year, that work will have been accomplished and has already been paid for. Now, what next? Well, when we call something phase one, that implies a phase two, doesn't it? And so we do have plans for phase two, and I'll just tease you a little bit. It's a new building. Now, exactly what that building's going to include hasn't all been worked out yet, but uh, Lord willing, we're going to build a standalone building across the street on one of the vacant lots that we own, which is going to be dedicated primarily to reaching the community. And so you pray for those on the various committees who are working out the details of that, that that announcement will come close upon the heels of completing phase one, that is in this calendar year. Now I want to remind you of something. We have committed as a church family that if we ever build another building, we're going to build for two reasons. One, there's a need, and two, because we have half the money in hand up front. And so that means in the year ahead, you're going to be called upon to support financially phase two of the vision plan. Now, I want to close with this. A couple years ago, when we brought you the vision plan, which is the result of a year and a half of meetings of 50 committee members and, and staff members, we, we gave you three letters that were going to be our marching orders. Do you remember what they were? S-D-G, solely Deo Gloria, that we are committed as a church family that whatever the Lord does through us and calls us to do or that we attempt for him will be motivated for his glory alone. That is, we're not in the business of building kingdoms. We're not in the business of building monuments to our own ego. We're in the business of bringing glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he directs us through his spirit, that is still our aim. But but to that, I want to add two more letters, and those are D-V. That's a Latin term for Deo Valente. It means if the Lord wills. In fact, a lot of the Puritans, when they signed letters, they would put at the bottom D-V, if the Lord wills. And that's very biblical. It's taken from James chapter 4. Let's turn there. I heard somebody putting your Bibles up. Shame on you. James chapter 4, look at verse 13. The book of James is a wonderful book. It's like Hebrews, encourages us in the faith, calls us to faithful commitment, pursuit of holiness, working out our salvation. But as he talks about endeavoring to do things for the Lord, he says this in James chapter 4, verse 13. He says, come now. You who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and 
spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. Amen? We don't know. You're just a vapor, a little mist in the air that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it to him, it is sin. So here's the three choices before us as we look forward to 2020. Praying that it's the year that Jesus returns. Living in a sense of expectation. We have three options. One, we can live like the world. We can just ignore all the signs around us, put our Bibles on the shelf and live it up. We're not going to do that. Our second option is to quit doing anything, to put our life and our church in neutral and try to coast on the momentum we've built in the last 138 years. The Bible warns again and again, don't do that. And so that leaves us with only one option. You know what it is? Keep on running. Keep on running until Jesus calls you home through death or keep on running until Jesus returns. And may the Lord help us do that for his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word and so clear. Father, even as we keep our eyes in heaven where Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, we are encouraged by saints who've gone before us, who've run their race with patience. They're cheering us on. Lord, I thank you for some who we said farewell to just in the last 12 months here. Thank you for godly figures like Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah. Lord, they're people like us. They had good days and bad, and yet they persevered to the end by your grace. Lord, help us individually to keep on running till our race is finished. And Father, as a church family, we're 138 years old, but Lord, we, we don't know how much longer we have. We commit this to you. So long as you give us breath in our lungs and a heartbeat in our chest, we're gonna run the race. Help us to lay aside this year any sin, things that are displeasing to you. Lord, we know that keeps us from running well. Then also beyond our sins, Lord, show us things that aren't best, that aren't helping us make progress in sanctification as individuals or as a church. Help us to be able to jettison those things for the higher goal of running the race. And Father, whatever good you choose to accomplish through us, we're gonna be very careful to point to Jesus, to give him the glory. And we ask these things in his name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.